Good morning. I absolutely agree with Mark. There's no place like home, and there's no place like Hillcrest, I can say that. Um, and actually, it's very fun to be uh, able to say to you on behalf of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which I frequent at headquarters every Wednesday, to say how loved Hillcrest is in the denomination. And so I warmly greet you from headquarters and also attest that it is such a joy for me that this is my home church. I love you guys. Okay, well, in the history of our denomination, we covenanters, and you know, I've only been a covenanter for about 13 years, and I know some of you are new to the covenant, but there are two questions that covenanters are fond of asking in our history, and they're discipleship questions. One is, where is it written? In other words, what does God say in the scriptures? And the second question is, how goes your walk? In other words, what are you going to do about what God says? So we affirm biblical authority and we seek to be people of scriptural integrity. We want our lives right to align with the scriptures and um, that our actions are consistent with our beliefs and with who we know God to be. So we ask God in his strength that we might walk worthy of the gospel with authenticity. So what does God want me to do about what God said? And that's kind of the scaffolding or the framework um, behind our discussion of Luke 5, 1 to 11 this morning. And you know elsewhere in the Gospels, we find Jesus' very profound and pregnant uh, words. He says in John 20, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he is speaking to his disciples and to us through them. And so we ask ourselves, well, how was Jesus sent by the Father? And how does Jesus send us? What does that look like that Jesus sends us um, to be um, disciple makers, to make and deepen disciples? That's the team I'm on in the covenant. I'm the make part. Making and deepening disciples. What can we expect as disciples? Well, I especially love this story because, you know, it's a whopper story, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's almost too fantastical to be true. The story is so big that it reminds me of, of a kid who knows he's going to get in trouble, and he says, what? Oh, the dog ate my homework, or Mikey made me do it, right? And I think, what an extraordinary monster jumbo story we have here. What is it that Jesus is trying to drive home? Why this incredible, miraculous story? What does he want to teach the disciples about making disciples? Well, one of the 10 missional markers that we have in the Covenant Church, and we have 10, and they are signs of healthy churches, and one is intentional evangelism. And um, when we are practicing intentional evangelism, we know that our church is a congregation that has vitality, church health. So let's dig into this story and see what Jesus is saying about intentional evangelism and about the mission and the process of making and deepening disciples. The first thing I think, at least that I saw in the story, is that we can expect to be interrupted. 
we can expect interruptions. Peter and his fellow fishermen, what? They had been out there a long night fishing, right? And they had caught nothing. They spent this fruitless night, and I imagine that they are likely exhausted on that shore. Um, they've been trying one bed after another to see where the fish are uh, feeding, and uh, they haven't found it after all night of fishing. So now they bought their boats ashore, stepped out of the boat, they're just starting to clean their nets, and along comes Jesus with a crowd. And he steps into the, one of the boats and he starts teaching. <sighs> little interruption here. We don't know how long he taught, but I imagine it was for a while. And then he says, Peter, could we put out, put out a little bit further? And then Peter, I want you to take those nets you're washing and I want you to throw them out. I imagine that they had been thinking about what? A big breakfast at home? Connecting with family? Getting that nap in before they had to go about their business again? And yet... Jesus has asked them to put out into deep water and let down those nets for a catch. Isn't discipleship a lot, lot, a lot like that? We get interrupted a lot in the journey. Um, yeah, God interrupts us. He breaks into our normal routine and he arrests our attention and he nudges us to get going maybe in a different direction. Maybe it's to be more generous. But in this story... He's interrupting these guys, and it has to do with catching fish. Jesus interrupts Peter in order to get his attention to go do more of what he's already been doing, fishing. And we know in this passage, because we know the end of it, that Jesus is using fishing as a metaphor for fishing for people, for wooing people to faith in Christ as my friends Dave and John Ferguson like to say, for helping people find their way back to God. Helping people find their way back to God. Peter, I want to interrupt you. I want to interrupt what you're doing and what you're giving your attention to, and I want to give you to give your attention to fishing again. So Jesus wants to teach Peter this lesson to prepare him for a lifetime of fishing for people. Disciples can expect to be interrupted, especially when God wants to get our attention about someone that he loves, someone that he passionately loves. He uses us to reach. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, wrote in her journal, May I see the interruptions of my day as the most important work of that day. The interruptions, in this case, the work of of wooing people to faith in Christ. Often, discipleship takes the form of interruptions. And to be interrupted, we have to be attentive. Peter, tired and weary, was still listening to Jesus. He listened and he responded in obedience, trusting Jesus' wisdom. Because I think that leads us to the next thing to be aware of in the passage is that we as disciples can be expected to be stretched, right? These men on the shore cleaning their nets had to get that job done before they could begin their day, before they could rest, before they could eat that big, I can just see it, two, two, and two. Two pancakes, two sausage, probably wasn't sausage, but two something, right? And hash rounds and the whole thing. Oh my goodness. But 
The nets had to be cleaned. The nets had to be cleaned. And here they are, having to take these stinking nets and get them dirty again and go out fishing. They'd worked hard. They knew their, tra their trade. They knew their craft. So why did they do it? Because you said so. They are being stretched here. There is only one good reason to go back to the same beds they've already fished at. Only one good reason. All their data points, what do they say? Fish aren't feeding there. We've been out 12, 12 hours maybe. No fish. But because you say so, we'll go. We simply do it because Jesus asks us. Perhaps you or I have said something similar about fishing for people. We've tried to share our faith with our friends, and they weren't interested. We've offered Alpha, but no one came. But Jesus asks us as disciples to do it again, to do the very thing that we've already done. There's no reason to share our faith again with that person, except, except that Jesus calls us to do it again. Perhaps you've had friends that have said, no thanks, they've shown no interest, and they've laughed at you. Just like this party girl laughed at those three women who week after week, month after month, invited me to their Bible thing. Well, you know, I've been laughed at. I took my first course in seminary on how to share your faith with people. And I was so excited to finally stop stumbling along and to know what I was supposed to share. And so I was home at our lake house for the weekend, and my brother and I, Jamie, we were down by the shore. I got the courage up to say, Jamie, you know that question I was taught. So tell me, are you interested in spiritual things? And Jamie looked at me, and he said, not particularly. I'll let you know if I am. And he picked up his beer, and he walked off bummer was I stretched. Oh my goodness. Jesus may ask us to do the very same thing we've done before. And I imagine it will not be a convenient interruption. People cause us more work, don't they? We can count on it. It's usually not just stopping for a moment. It's like investing in people. Um, I'm sure Peter was tempted to think there's no way this is going to happen. But you know, um, Jesus was sending Peter back to square one, right, to start over again. I think of my students at Wheaton College. I teach evangelism to undergrads these last four years. And uh, for eight weeks, part of their assignment is they have to go out and share their faith under the principle that we never do unto anyone what they don't want done unto themselves. So week one, it's pretty easy because we just uh, simply learn to share our story. So it's not too hard to share your own story, right? And then week two, it's not too bad because we, uh, we ask if we might pray for people. And so we get more comfortable with you know, praying and evangelism. Well, now week three, um, 
we kind of have to begin to initiate spiritual conversations. And on that week, we do what I call narrative evangelism. So instead of talking about Jesus, we share a story from Jesus' life. And that's still not too bad. But when we get to week four, we have to put it all together and we have to memorize a gospel presentation. And uh, recently, I've been using James Chung, who is the, is the University Christian Fellowship National Director of Evangelism, has a gospel presentation that's working on college campuses where we're seeing people come to faith, students come to faith, and it's called God's Big Story. You can Google it, The Big Story. It's on YouTube. So you should see their frowny faces when they have to do that that week. And it takes a lot of courage on my part to send them out, send them out. You can do this. And so much fun. Uh, a semester ago, uh, David Choi comes back, and they usually share, you know, the first five minutes of class, we kind of just swap stories on how it went. Well, David gets up, and he comes to the front of the class to tell everybody that he has pulled out his napkin at Starbucks, and he has told a woman the big story as he's drawn it out and invested her in her, and it's not a moment telling the story. It takes a little bit. And she is ready, and she prays with him and comes into the kingdom of God. And he has already met with her a second time and has set up meetings at Starbucks for her. And he's asking us what church he can recommend to take her to and hand her off. Is that not the coolest thing? Takes time. Oh, I love that. So we can also expect with that, I love what R.T. France writes, there is more to discipleship than listening and learning. It brings complete disruption to the normal manner of life. And we can expect not just those hard things, but also the unexpected. What happened with David? The unexpected happened in that Starbucks. And what does Jesus tell Peter to do? Put out the nets for a catch. Jesus is predicting. He's foretelling here. He's not saying, oh, you know, put the nets out. We might catch something. There might be a fish or two coming. He says, no get prepared. It's coming. And even two fish. Yeah, that would have been a miracle, but we could explain that one, right? Yet, there is this enormous catch that's coming. I think Peter and these guys went out again on that lake uh, because Jesus asked them to, and I don't think they expected really anything to happen, but they were being faithful and obedient. And what happened? Peter was utterly surprised. Why? Because you have this exponential thing happening. Just imagine yourself. Can you imagine? Oh, this is kind of fun. Look at the fish coming in. Surprise. This is awesome. Look at these fish. And then, right, then it's kind of a wonder as the boat's getting, the nets are getting bigger and bigger, and then, and then they're tossing it in the boat, and the boat's getting bigger and bigger, and it's starting to sink, and another, all these guys are pulling up, trying to help, trying to get the fish in the next boat, and then both boats are starting to sink. And that awe would have turned to what? I mean, this was almost frightening, fearful. Jesus is intentional. There is a reason he is giving this image to us. There are more and more people who need help finding their way back to God, and they are ready. We need to be prepared. The extraordinary thing is going to happen here, and I believe that Luke recorded it for a reason, right where it is. We are to live in expectation of that transforming work and power of the gospel as the kingdom breaks in to people's lives. There's just this unbounded, immeasurable, ridiculously enormous number of fish here. 
And I think Peter was surprised by what was in the net as he lived his life out in the next days and weeks and months and years to come and the rest of his life as a disciple after the ascension. Who was in the net? The religious who came out at night? The irreligious? There was Zacchaeus. The Samaritans? The Syrophoenician woman? Two centurions? And later in his life, Gentiles would be included to his utter surprise. Pante ta ethne, all the nations, all the nations, all castes, all ethnicities, all social economic backgrounds. We are to expect the unexpected. My brother Jamie, very unlikely candidate to be caught in the net. 20 years later, on a Sunday afternoon, I still remember it, Easter Sunday, I had sent him a book, a Christian book, which he had asked me repeatedly to stop sending him Christian books. He wasn't going to read them. I sent him this book, called him on Easter Sunday about 3 in the afternoon, and he was home. I said, I thought you were going to our cousins for Easter. You could have come here. Oh, don't worry about me, he said. You know that book you sent me? And I'm thinking, yeah, the one that you gave me a hard time about. Yeah. He goes, I got all kinds of questions. I read it till three in the morning, and as soon as I got up this morning, he goes, I'm almost done, and I'm going to order the next one online. But I got all kinds of questions. And just shortly after, Jamie was baptized in Lake Michigan, became a disciple. And what's on his heart? That his friends, too, would come into the kingdom. Unexpected people in the net. Our congregation had a wonderful, similar surprise in the last few weeks, did we not? As we saw Tali bring her friend Fatima up here three weeks ago to be baptized. And Fatima tells her story, this beautiful Iranian woman and her daughter of the kingdom of God breaking into their lives because Talia, Tali, was interrupted, right? went to that woman's home and shared with her about Jesus and invested in her. And many of you invested in both of those women. Isn't that how it works? Making and deepening disciples, reproducing disciples. I cannot wait to see who comes into the net next. So exciting. We can expect the exponential. We can expect the kingdom of God to break in. This story is inexplicable, and that is how God works. I love how Leslie Newbegin turns it, terms it. He calls it a U-turn. People take U-turns into the kingdom of God. And how do they do that? How do they get caught in the net? How do they take the, new tur the U-turn? By hearing. They come by hearing. When we are faithful and obedient and go fishing, and chit-chat the gospel with our friends. Invite them. Invest in them. Spend time with them. Doing the things we love that they love to do. But having the conversations, they too awaken. Awaken. God wants to break into our lives. Do we in our ministries here expect the kingdom of God to break in? Do we pray for that? I realized as I was working on this message, I am not praying big enough prayers. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come into the lives of my friends. Break into my family. 
And there's one more thing we can expect, and that is to sacrifice as disciples. This is a story about sacrifice. Look, not just breakfast was interrupted. They drop things. They drop their livelihood, their everything. They leave everything for Jesus. For fishermen to drop their nets, they were saying to Jesus, I am putting you before everything. Take my work. Take my livelihood. Whatever you want, use it. If we are going to see a movement of people coming to faith in Jesus, and this is a story about a movement, it's going to cost something. There is always sacrifice. What will we give up for the sake of lost people? What will we personally give up? What will we give up as a congregation? Our preferences? Worship, building usage, I don't know. What will we add as individuals? Will we make room in our schedule to add friends instead of walking with the girls I like to walk with? Will we invite that neighbor to walk with us? I don't know, but I trust that Jesus is going to say something to each of us about what we can add and what we can subtract. I look at this passage and I ask, am I there yet? Are we there yet? Are our nets breaking are our boats sinking? Is there anyone here who thinks our boats are full and we can't get any more in there? No. We can expect more, but we have to be willing to be interrupted in order so we can be astonished by being sent. We're not where we should be. There is so much more that could be done. But we are beginning to see amazing things here. Amazing breakout of the kingdom of God. I'm excited together to journey this path of expecting even more, of asking God to break our nets and fill up our boats so they are so full they're overflowing. And yeah, I'm expecting this week that Jesus is going to ask each of us, moi, are you willing? to sacrifice that. And we can expect to worship. Oh, I, don't you love Peter's response here? Look at his posture. He is so astounded and astonished by what God has done that first you can see the conviction come over him, can't you? He's, in a sense, undone. It's a posture we see throughout Scripture when people encounter the magnitude of God and what God wants to do. He's overwhelmed by his own shortcomings. But he is an inadequacies, but he is also overwhelmed by what? The love of God for people. This is a story about the people God wants to bring into the kingdom. I'm going to do this. I'm going to use you, Peter, disciples. I'm going to use you to do this. God's love, his heart that beats and pumps for every one of us that were brought in at some point and for all our friends and all our family. And he is sending us out to go fishing for them. Can we not reimagine our worship over that, not just here in this space at 9.45 and at whatever time, 9.30 and 10.45, yeah, but also throughout our week as our nets are filled. Deep, deep love of God for humans. 
So, interesting. No gift of evangelism in this story, right? Nope. Nobody very extraordinary. Fishermen. Asked to drop everything, their attitudes, their unbelief, their doubts, their fears, and go fish. Every encumbrance, let it go. Peter has nothing to do with giftedness in this story. Only simple obedience. We see his humility. Peter didn't always get it right in his life, did he? But he got it right here. This big fish story calls for a big response. Jesus is calling us to go fish. This is a story about fish, but it hits me that it's not so much about fishes as it's about people, and it's about your friends, my family, people Jesus loves. I'd like you to personalize a story at this point. Has your child ever come home from the county fair with that guppy or that little goldfish and we put it in the aquarium right and it's just a fish until what happens they name that fish and then it's personal joe fox it's personal right i'd like you to be thinking maybe it's your five people on your list of bringing the world to christ ask the lord of the harvest maybe it's your neighbor maybe it's your daughter your dad who are the fish God is asking you, the people in your life, to begin to pray for and to begin to bless and spend time with and invest and have those conversations. We are called together, together. Maybe you'll do it in community. Maybe you'll be with your small group, with your family. You'll go on the mission of God this week together to go fishing. And I'm humbled and honored to get to fish with you this week. And I cannot wait for us to swap some big fish stories with each other. Well, one thing I'd like to leave you with, the call to become disciples begins with the call to make disciples. The call to become disciples begins with the call to make disciples. It's not after we've been a Christian a long time. It's from day one. We start sharing the story. I love how God used simple fishermen and the tools they had to illustrate this story. I wonder how God wants to use the tools in your life, your professions, our families. What does he want to use? This is a story of huge reversals. I'll close with my girlfriend, Andrea, who taught me more about fishing than anyone else in my life. Yet she caught nothing. I didn't even know. She trained me. I hadn't even had babies yet, and she had me come to her house. She goes, come, come, I'm having all the children in my neighborhood over for a good Friday party. She goes, we're going to story about Jesus. It's going to be so fun, and I was terrified. And the whole living room is filled with three, four, and five-year-olds. We teach them the simple story of the gospel. Andrea taught me how to have a Matthew party. Had the girlfriends in from the neighborhood and a few Christians in to do what? Get to know each other and awaken curiosity. Andrea, every Sunday afternoon, who was in her backyard barbecuing? A different family from the neighborhood. Always investing in them, knowing about their lives, getting to know them. Andrea planned big events at our church like at Christmas, extravaganzas that we brought our friends to. But she insisted, you cannot come 
unless you bring a non-Christian friend. We do not have space. Can you imagine? And then Andrea caught Corinne and her husband. And they started coming to church, and they transformed before our eyes, and I overheard Andrea say once, it's the first person I've ever led to Christ. After I had known her for 17 years, Andrea caught one, and I believe that God has one out there for each of us to catch. Some it'll be a multitude, but there is one for everyone. In closing, I would like to ask you those two covenant discipleship questions and just give you a moment to reflect before I pray. What did God say to you this morning from this text? And what will you do about it? What do you want me to do about it, God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us your heart. People are on your heart. Thank you, God. Will you place some of those people on our hearts? Will you help us name them? Thank you that you send us out and that you send us with the Holy Spirit and that you go before us. We just want to collaborate with you, Lord. So we give you those names now, those fish in our lives. We ask that you would fill our nuts and our boats to breaking with the people you love. Equip us, prepare us for it in every way, and do the unexpected in our lives. Show us if there is something that you want us to sacrifice, Lord. And then I pray you would just astonish us. For the sake of your glory, we pray. Amen.